it started as a normal day. What if the truth about the greatest tragedy of your life was kept secret from you? A huge explosion occurred. This is the story of a scandal deliberately buried in the chaos of the Iraq war. What, what really just happened? Listen to NPR's Embedded podcast in its latest series, Taking Cover. Hi, my name is Rain Wilson, and my book is called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. Rain Wilson is best known for his role as Dwight in the TV show The Office, which ran for nine seasons and attracted millions of superfans worldwide. He has a new book out titled Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. And while it certainly has its comedic moments, it's also a reflection of the current state of the world and says that we should embrace spirituality to cure some of our deepest problems. I recently spoke with Rain Wilson about the roots of his own spirituality and why he has hope for a better world. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. Can you give our listeners a brief description of the book? Do you have like an elevator speech or, or how you pitched it? Yeah, that pitching the book, summing it up is a little bit difficult, but I say in Soul Boom that I'm throwing a lot of spiritual spaghetti against the wall and we'll see what sticks. So it's asking a lot of probing questions about our spiritual reality, both on an individual level and on a societal level. And can we use spiritual tools to affect transformation, again, both personally and socially? You introduced a concept early in the book, and I immediately found myself talking with friends and running partners about, you know, the two 1970s shows that, quote, illuminate the two spiritual paths in front of us, the personal journey, which is illustrated by Kung Fu, and the spiritual evolution of the species, which is illustrated by Star Trek. And it's not fair to ask you to generalize a concept that you touch on throughout the book, but can you briefly speak on this? Yes. So... As with most things in my life, I always bring it back to television. It's my favorite medium and one that I've made a little career in. So when I was growing up, raised by my RCA color television in the 1970s, my main staples were watching Kung Fu and Star Trek. They were my two favorite shows, besides all the comedies. Kung Fu is about Kwai Chang Kane, who's a Shaolin monk who's been kicked out of the monastery and he's gone to 1880s Western America. So he's in the cowboy world, cowboy lands, Western lands, and he's looking for his half brother. And as he goes along his way from town to town, he encounters a lot of racist cowboys and ends up kicking their butts and falls in with people who are struggling. And he gets to share his Eastern wisdom and his love and his kind of Buddha Christ-like consciousness with them with occasional bouts of butt kicking along the way. And I compare this television show to our personal spiritual journey that you and I, everyone listening, we go through our day, we deal with resentful people and unhappy bosses and mean folks that cross our paths. We're trying to become better and better human beings. We're trying to kind of radiate and use spiritual qualities such as kindness and compassion and, and love and honesty. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail. We, we struggle and we seek to find transcendence. We seek to find serenity as we go down this path. And that's the Kung Fu path, right? So 
the other path is Star Trek. And this is the part of spirituality that I think people don't consider as deeply. People in Western culture kind of view spirituality these days as something that affects kind of personal transcendence and serenity that allows us to, you know, find meaning to reduce our anxiety. You know, it's, it, it's meditation and, and yoga and stuff like that. So the other aspect of spirituality really has to do with societal change. And in Star Trek, it's a perfect example because yes, it's all about technology and science, but when you dig a little deeper, what's happened in Star Trek that has allowed them to boldly go seek out new life and new civilizations is that on planet Earth, there's been a terrible war, World War III, and out of the ashes of that war, humanity has finally united. And in uniting, they have solved racism, they have solved sexism, they have solved income inequality, they've solved climate change and environmental catastrophe. And through the benefit and advent of science, they're then able to go to their higher calling, which is finding new civilizations and interacting with them. So when I was a kid in the 70s, we always used to talk about world peace. Like we would write essays on world peace and beauty contestants would talk about world peace and scientists and Nobel Prize winners, politicians. Nowadays, if you talk about world peace, people just roll their eyes and they laugh at you and they think you're being naive and ridiculous. But there is a spiritual component to kind of social transformation and maturity that I wanted to dig into in the book as well. You know, all of the issues that the people of Star Trek had solved, you write about them, you call them a pandemic, not the COVID-19 variety, but, you know, you write about racism, sexism, materialism, unjust economic extremes, nationalism and militarism and climate change and otherness. And reading about these back to back to back just felt unrelenting and overwhelming. But you say there's hope? I do say there's hope. And not only that, I know there's hope. And we are in a dark time right now, and we can and absolutely will rise out of it. There may be some very difficult and disastrous times. Remember, the United Nations was born out of, you know, the conflagration. Well, the League of Nations came out of World War I, and the United Nations came out of World War II. And those, that's not the answer, by the way. That's a big bureaucratic mess. It's not what I'm suggesting. But the fact is, is that for the first time, countries were coming together and trying to resolve their disputes on the international stage um, and not just immediately going to war with one another, although that seems to be falling apart. But hope is crucial. At the end of the book, I have a chapter called The Seven Pillars for a Spiritual Revolution because I wanted to have some takeaways for people. To, okay, so I want to be part of a spiritual revolution. I want to transform humanity. I want to transform myself. I want to make the world a better place. I want to use spiritual tools to do that. So what does that look like? Well, one of them is hope, is fostering joy and squashing cynicism. And that is a tool. And I, I have a, a story around that. When I was a young actor in New York City, I studied with one of the great acting teachers of all time, Andre Gregory. And He's the focus of that movie, My Dinner with Andre from the 70s. And he would meet with his students and he met with me. We had tea. And then he said, so how are you, Rain? What's going on? And I was like, well, I just feel so cynical. I feel pessimistic. I don't feel like things, you know, the world is such a mess. And I just, 
I don't know what to do. And it's just blah, blah, blah. Things are really awful. And I'll never forget this. He was, he's still alive. He must be like 117. I don't know how, because he was, he was like in his seventies at the time when I studied with him, he grabbed my arm hard. He looked in my eyes, he leaned in close and I mean, he grabbed it hard. It shocked me. And he said, don't, don't do it. You can't be cynical. If you are cynical, they win. You have to keep hope alive. You have to stay positive and work for positive change. If you don't, they win. The more pessimistic you are, the more the dark forces will take over. And I walked out of that tea with him out into the sunshine. And I was in Greenwich Village at the time. And, and I kind of saw the world a little bit different. And I realized like, he's right, you know, the forces of whatever they are, I won't say evil, but anti-progress, they want everyone to stay docile and pessimistic because then change doesn't happen. And joy can be a force for good. We can create joy in other people. And that's one thing I, I've gotten to do as an actor, which is a wonderful bounty. Is And I didn't. it's not something I signed up for, but I have the ability to make people laugh. And I got to be part of a TV show that made a lot of people laugh and brought a lot of joy and comfort to people. But joy is not something that we necessarily want to always be pursuing to find in our own hearts, but it's something that we can spread. It's something we can share. It's a, it's a gift we can give to others. We can instill joy in others. And in so doing, we can help give them hope. You talk a bit about your father and his influence as you know, a practitioner of the Baha'i faith and his death and burial. And the book is dedicated to him. Talk to me about your father and how he shaped your spiritual journey. Oh, you're going to make me cry, aren't you? <laughs> you're going to try me. You're going to do it. You're going to make me cry, Beth. Oh, you drat it. <laughs> Darn you. Um, no, I always, I always cry when I talk about my dad and especially how it relates to this book. Um, yeah, and I, I dedicate it at the beginning. I say to Robert Wilson, thank you for teaching me about the soul because his faith was very important to him. And I grew up a member of the Baha'i faith, which is very inclusive, uh, especially of all the religious faiths of the world. So I grew up learning about Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikhism and Sufism and Christianity and Islam. And, you know, when born again Christians would come to the door, my dad would invite them in and cook pancakes and talk to them about the Bible. And this is how I was raised and to be kind of probing these deep, profound and really important questions. So one of the things that inspired this book for me was uh, the passing of my father, which happened a few months after COVID. He didn't die of COVID, he died of heart disease. But I had a profound kind of what Oprah would call an aha moment when he was on that hospital bed and life had passed away from him. And I saw like little tuft of eyebrow hairs poking out from his eyebrow and the way his ear was shaped and his hair and the mole on his forearm. And I really realized like, oh, this isn't my father. This is not my dad. This is the vessel that carried my dad. But that is not him. And I said this profound experience that life goes on, that we are essentially, and which is a truth in every spiritual tradition, we are essentially spiritual beings. 
And we spend a limited amount of time in our bodies in corporeal existence. And when our bodies slough away, we continue our journey infinitely through infinite worlds of the divine. And that really rang true to me and kind of inspired a chapter called Death and How to Live It and really drove an inspiration around the entire book. It was surprising that your proposed TV series on the notorious G.O.D. was rejected so fervently and that it was considered too controversial in this age when almost anything goes on television. Do you still have a hope for the project or is the notorious G.O.D. dead? I would love to come back and do a show about God. Um, yeah, so you're referring to me pitching a show all around town called The Notorious G.O.D. About, about God and just looking for God and considering God and pondering God. Like we all know, of course, God is not an old white man with a beard on a cloud. We all know that. We also know that God isn't really a deity, like, a, like some kind of Marvel superhero who is able to cast spells on us and find us a parking spot and you know, do this and that for us. That's not how God works. The concept is far greater than that. We also know that, you know, God must be inexorably linked with science, that there isn't a, a dichotomy between faith and science, that both can live. You know, both are ways of understanding reality. You know, science is a way of understanding physical reality, and faith and spirituality is a way of, of studying the other aspects of reality are our internal selves, our consciousness, our hearts. But as I pitched this show, it was very funny. It was rejected all around town. And the one thing I heard, I remember from Netflix was like, they thought it was too controversial. And it was like that word controversial really made me laugh. Like, wait, you've got dating shows with, you know, drunken idiots throwing garbage at each other. And you've got you know, movies where like 487 people get their faces blasted off like in John Wick. And like, none of that is controversial at all, I guess. But talking about God is controversial. But that's where we are as a society right now. You know, we have a big chunk of the population. Like right now, they're probably rolling their eyes and recoiling at this conversation and going, oh, please shut up about God. Ugh, religion is the problem. You know, this is, it's what's made the world this horrible place. I don't want to talk about it. It doesn't exist. Can't prove it. And then there's another part that views God as very much just synonymous with their particular church or mosque or synagogue or kind of quote unquote religious experience. So, but where's the God in between that? You know, what is the, the creative force that pulses through all the molecules of this universe and an infinite number of other universes just as grand and mysterious as this one. Like, what is that about? That's what I would love to explore. You know, some of the things you were just talking about, you know, how God and science must be connected. It brings me to Soul Boom, the religion trademark. Yes. And you fabricated a religion covering the 10 fundamentals of religion and the 11 soul boom specific religious concepts because you got to love a potluck. So you noted that while soul boom religion would never exist, it does address some truths that humanity is longing for purpose, community, devotion, transcendence and service. And you say that this could hopefully be the start of a much larger conversation. What tenet 
of Soul Boom, the religion trademark, should be talked about first? Wow, that's a great question and a probing one. Um, uh, let's just go. Let's just go with love. You know, let's go with the universality of love, total love, a kind of love that maybe you haven't experienced before, or I haven't experienced before, a kind of um, a radiant acquiescence and transcendent acceptance of everyone and their, their foibles and their differences and their frail, feeble, delightful humanity. And how does that love manifest itself? Is there a difference between, really, is there a difference between love and beauty? Isn't beauty just love manifested in a different form? And can the force of love be so powerful that it propels us in service to others? Every religious tradition, every spiritual tradition has love as a foundational aspect of it. And I think if we're going to talk about any universal that's the central pillar around what everything is built. You know, in, in the Bible, it says that God is love. You know, hippies taught us that God is love. So they were bringing it back to the notorious G-O-D. And if we were able to have far deeper compassion and far greater love for each other, it's not some hippy-dippy, airy-fairy concept that sounds great at a concert in the park, you know, to mandolin music or with the right incense being burned and the right crystal in front of us. It's, it's real. When we love our family members, we want to serve them. When they're sick, we will drop anything, a sacrifice our lives for them. Well, how do we increase the number of people in our family to include our town, our, our church, our local community, our county, our, our state, our country, other countries, our, our continent, and the entire planet. So that deep burning love can drive our actions. Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i Faith says, let your heart burn with loving kindness for those who may cross your path. What would that look like if we were able to rise to such wisdom and maturity that our heart burned with loving kindness for people that were crossing our path. Well, that might just be a building block for a spiritual revolution. As I was reading this, I was feverishly taking notes. We're all on a spiritual path. We let overwhelm and resistance keep us from achieving the goals we set for ourselves. Spiritual journey is not an individual journey, but a collective, or the other primal need is to lend, give, sacrifice, and collaborate. And I finally had to stop taking notes and just read. How did this come together for you as you wrote it? Was it feverish recollection of notes and shifting around, or did you just write? Uh, great question. Um, these are a lot of ideas that I had been writing for a long time. The, there's a chapter on sacredness and um, this pilgrimage that I took and experiencing sacredness. That was an essay that I wrote years ago that I kind of repurposed for this book. The Notorious G.O.D. was a lot of ideas that I had been dreaming up for this television show, right? And when COVID hit, it was kind of like, oh, here's an opportunity to kind of write something up and uh, distill all this and, and put it together. And, you know, my favorite thing in the world is I'm an iPhone user, like so many of us, 
in the notes app is absolutely incredible because I could be taking a poop or I could be taking a walk in the woods and I would get an idea or think of a quote or something like that. And I could whip it out and I had both a general kind of ideas and I had chapter by chapter notes and I would just put it in. And you know what, if you keep doing that and you do it three or four or seven or eight times a day, believe it or not, after a few months, you've got an outline for an entire book. <laughs> so, and then the, the note syncs between your phone and your computer. I don't even still don't understand what the cloud is, but apparently <laughs> there's a cloud involved. I, I don't know what that is, but there were a lot of inspirational quotes and thoughts and ideas. And then I kind of pulled them together chapter by chapter. And it's kind of, you know, the book, you know, frankly, it's a little all over the place. It's hard to kind of there's a chapter on God and consciousness and, and death and the sacred and, and then multiple chapters on religion and then kind of my grand thesis that it leads to, which is that we need a spiritual revolution. You mentioned the section on sacred and you talked about the circle of the sacred and profound and you asked readers to pause and reflect on questions about the holy and the sacred and that your hope was to spark only one action in the reader's mind and heart, and that was a moment of pause. Now, this was just one section of the book where you had a hope. Do you have an overall hope for the readers of Soul Boom? Again, I feel like we've thrown the spiritual baby out with the religious bathwater. So collectively in our contemporary culture, we have rejected religion so forcefully, and many times for a very, very good reason, but there's a lot of ideas contained in the world's wisdom traditions, in the faith traditions that are not only like a good idea, but important and transformative concepts that can enrich our lives and can also help guide us as a species on this planet. So everything in this book is questions. I don't have any answers really. It really is a process of asking a whole bunch of questions. So I'm hoping that the reader experiences all of these issues, like I said, the spiritual spaghetti thrown against the wall, and that it just sparks a conversation and a deeper thought. Because, you know, I'll get, I'll get really serious here for a minute. Like, where we are at on the planet right now is very dire. We have climate change. We talked about the spiritual pandemics you mentioned earlier climate change, militarism. We have a war raging in Europe. We have increasing distrust with China. We have a mental health epidemic that's affecting young people and killing them as suicide becomes the number one killer of young folks in our culture. These concepts are not just, oh, it's like, oh, that's kind of a pretty idea, kumbaya. Humanity needs these. We, we need to find answers. We've tried it in Washington, D.C., We've tried it with political parties. We've tried it with nonprofits, with legislation and economic policies. That's not going to cut it. We have to go deeper. We have to dig deeper and push harder. And so many answers can be found in the Vedantas and the Vedas and Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita and the, and the Dhammapada of the Buddha and the great uh, spiritual teachings of indigenous cultures. They're not just, you know, this airy-fairy kind of hugging in a circle type of thing. We need to undertake a transformation, and there are rich spiritual wisdom traditions that will save lives and can help us save the planet. Our listeners are probably familiar with your acting work, including as 
Dwight Schrute on The Office, and they may be surprised to find that you are not only an author, but this is your third book. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. I learned something surprising when I read the preface. I mean, I was aware of Soul Pancake, but I didn't realize that that was your creation. And Mm -hmm. you also have a podcast, Metaphysical Milkshake. Do you have any other books or projects in the works that we can look forward to? Well, I've been pondering this, uh, what my next book might be. Of course, I remember saying to my wife on the phone, I was using my friend's cabin on the beach over in Oxnard Shores, California, kind of over there a few miles. And um, it was hot and the air conditioning wasn't working. And I I had my shirt off and I was sweating. And I was under deadline with my publisher trying to send him a couple more chapters and feverishly working and drinking green tea and eating a poke bowl. And I was like, this is insane. I am never doing this again. This is awful. Writing this book, this is terrible. What a stupid idea. What was I thinking? And I told my wife, I was like, this is what, a, what I'm never doing this again. And now, of course, I'm like, oh, maybe there's more books. I think if I was going to write another book, the, the one right now I'm thinking about is, is about the meaning of life. So it's just some simple stuff. It's yeah. just like, what is the meaning of life? And it would be, there'd be some chunks of some soul boom like ideas, but getting really specific, like what is the meaning of life? How do we find meaning in our life? How do we create a life of meaning? Because this is, I think where people are, are especially hurting right now. The book is Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. Rain Wilson, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. What a lovely conversation. That was Rain Wilson, author of the book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, which was published by Hachette. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Stasser and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.